Grace, mercy, peace, they're all yours in abundance from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. It's a word that I don't think any of us necessarily like. Maybe it's a word that we hear in defiance. When our, our child is standing across the way, we ask them to do something, and they look at us and they say, no. That's not good. We don't like that. But it's also a word that I think we don't like when really anybody in any situation has the audacity to look at us and say, no. Maybe it's a parent telling their teen, no, you haven't been doing your work, you haven't been doing the things you need to do, you're not going to the party this weekend. Or, or no, you can't have the electronics. The answer is no. Or maybe it's the boss says, sorry, but the answer is no. There's going to be no bonuses. There's no raises. No, you didn't get the promotion. No. No is also a word, I think, too, that, that can be kind of soul-crushing, right? When she says, no, I don't want to go out with you. Or no, I don't love you anymore. Or no, you didn't get the job. No, mom's not going to get better. No. I spent some time this week trying to, trying to think about this word no even more and why we don't like it. And one of the things I came up, and I, I didn't like it, but one of the things I think that the reason we don't like the word no is maybe because we've grown so accustomed and so entitled that we think that whatever we want, when we want, the answer should be yes and not no. And then I started thinking, okay, well, what happens then when God says no? There's quite a few examples in the Bible where God looked at his people and he said, no. I think of maybe the time when Moses was called by God. God comes to him in the burning bush said, you're going to go back to Egypt. You're going to lead my people out. And Moses actually said, no, first, I can't speak well. I'm no good. I'm not your guy. And God said, no, you're going to go. I'll send Aaron with you, but you're not getting out of this. You're going. Or I think about King David. Lots of things we could talk about King David, but this one, David is living early on in his kingdom, in his reign, in a palatial palace, and across the way there's God living in a tent. Like David's house was way better than God's house, and David, he, he feels that, and he's like, this ain't okay. I want to build a church, the temple, to the glory of God, and God looks at him and says, no, your son will build it, but not you. Or I think of Elijah. 
You know who Elijah is? He was one of God's prophets. He, he lived under the reign of a guy named Ahab, not a good king at all. Ahab tried to kill him. His wife was maybe even more ruthless, tried to kill God's prophet, didn't want to listen to God's word. And, and Elijah goes on the run, and you know what Elijah wants? He just wished that God would take him off of this earth. He wanted to be dead. And you know what God told him? No, I got work for you to do. You got to go back. There's, there's plenty of people, thousands, 7,000 in fact, people that have not worshipped the false gods. You need to tell them that I still love them and I'm here. Well, then I think about the New Testament. You got a guy like Peter. Quick to speak, slow to listen, which is probably the opposite of what it's supposed to be. And there was one time where Peter thought he had the better idea, and Jesus told him, no. He actually said, get behind me, Satan, because you don't have the things of God in mind, only the things of men. No. You want another one? How about Paul? You know Paul's story? Paul used to be a murderer. He used to be fighting against the Christian faith. God brings him to faith. And he had what he describes as a thorn in the flesh. We don't exactly know what it was. Some say it was physical. Some say it was mental in nature. Some say maybe it was like depression or anxiety. Some say it was a sight issue. Some say it was like actually a problem with this individual person or a group of people that always made his life hard. But either way, Paul goes to God and he says, God, please, can you take it away? God, please, can you take it away? Please, God, really, this is such a burden. It, it, it's hurtful. Can you please take it away? Three times he said he pleaded, and you know God's answer? No. But God said, my grace is sufficient. You have all my love. You have forgiveness. You have heaven. No. But I haven't given you, I think, the most famous no that the Father spoke of all time. It took place in a garden. As God the Son is in prayer with his Father on the night, the very night, in fact, probably just like an hour or two tops away from one of his own coming with a band of soldiers to have him arrested, hand over to the Gentiles, and crucified Remember the scene? Jesus is in prayer and he said, Dad, if there's another way we can do this to save mankind, can we do it that way? And the Father's answer? No. Today, in our Gospel reading, I think we have another example where Jesus looks at his people then and us now, and he says, No. Let's take a look. Matthew begins by telling us, now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. Now just to give you historical context, Jesus is going up to Jerusalem very soon. And when he enters Jerusalem, you know what day that is? Palm Sunday. He's close to his death. All right? And so on the way, he takes the 12 aside and he says to them, we're going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law and they will condemn him to death. And will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day he will be raised to life. 
Have you ever been in a situation where you were talking to someone, and maybe it was, right, you, you got your spouse, or maybe it was your whole family, or, or maybe it was something at work, but it's a serious conversation. You kind of get your inner circle, you bring them in, and you start talking to them, and you quickly get the feeling they're not listening. Right? They're there, they're there physically, they're present in the moment, but as you talk, you can just tell they are not tracking at all. Their mind is somewhere else. I wonder if Jesus felt that way. Right? What's he doing? He's talking to them about some serious stuff. This would be the third time that Jesus tells them about his suffering and death. Guys, I'm going to die. We're going up to Jerusalem, and very soon I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be handed over to the authorities. They're going to put me on trial. They're going to condemn me. They're going to kill me, and I'll rise. But, guys, you, you need to hear this. This has implications, not just for me, but for you. But it's like they weren't even listening. Right? Because right in the middle of this, what happens? We're told then the mother of Zebedee's sons, right? Who's Zebedee? If you, if you remember Matthew chapter 4, Jesus calling the disciples, that would be James and John. This is James and John's mom, all right? And so she comes with her kids. She kneels down and she asks a favor of him. She says, what is it you want? She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Really? I mean, are you kidding me, Mom? Jesus is talking about how he's going to die, and you come up and you ask if your two boys can have the top seats in the house, because that's really what she's asking, right? Jesus, you're the king, and in your kingdom, can my boy sit on your right and on your left? Those would be the top two positions of power and authority. Really, lady? Were you just listening to what Jesus said? Now, it wasn't just her idea either. You don't see the boys objecting. Hey, mom. No, no, no. Don't go talk to Jesus. Don't say that to him. No, they were okay with this. Because maybe in their mind, it seemed kind of right. It seemed fair. I mean, Jesus, we've been with you for what? Almost three years now? We, we left the boat. We left our dad, Zebedee. We said, see ya, pops. We're going with this guy. And we left him in the boat. We quit the family business to follow you. It's only seemed fair, right, that, that we get something in return, Jesus. How about the right? How about the left? This would be great. The other disciples, did you catch it? They, they didn't like this at all. Right? It uses the word indignant, right? They're like, this is not right. We're angry. This is not fair. And they weren't indignant because they're like, hey, guys, Jesus just said he's going to die, and you're trying to talk about who's going to be the greatest, who gets positions of power in the kingdom. How dare you? They were mad because they didn't think of this first. Because, again, this wasn't the first time that the disciples fought each other about who was the greatest and who would have the positions of power underneath Jesus. And they were upset. I suppose we could probably spend some more time trying to figure out why in the world the disciples would do this. I mean, you guys were with Jesus. 
You saw the miracles. You heard what Jesus said, and he just told you what was going to happen, and you're busy fighting like a bunch of first graders about who gets the best seat? But then I thought, how often don't we do the same thing? How often don't we look at our lives and think, well, you know, I've put in the effort. I've done this. I've done everything right. I deserve that. I mean, right, Jesus? I come to church. I've stuck it out. Other people haven't. I I get involved. I, I even pull out my wallet and I put something in the plate. I support the ministry. Doesn't that count for something, Jesus? Don't I deserve a little bit of this? I mean, I've lost family and friends for you. Or that guy at work, you know, why does he get the promotion? He's kind of a bum. He doesn't work as hard as I do. He doesn't do the things I do. Or that kid in my class, I'm a better student. I put in more work. I don't know about you, but I'm all too easily tempted to think, Jesus, can I sit at your right or your left? Or, or just put me in the cabinet in, in, your, in your kingdom. That's, that's, that's good enough, but give me something. Because like those disciples, don't we all crave honor, accolades, praise? But what's Jesus' answer to us? What was his answer to the disciples? He says this. He says, you don't know what you're asking. (laughs) I just love Jesus, right? He doesn't really even answer the question. He's like, you guys have no idea what you're talking about. And they didn't, because you know what the disciples were thinking? They were still thinking that Jesus was going to go into Jerusalem. He was going to kick out all the bad people. He was going to put himself on the throne again. They could be right. He could be left. The rest of the disciples serve as the cabinet. And we're going to rule, and we're going to reign, and this is going to be awesome. They still didn't get it. So Jesus was right. You have no idea what you're talking about and what you're asking. And then he said, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? Oftentimes in the Bible when it talks about drinking the cup, it's talking about suffering. It's talking about pain. It's talking about death. And and it's kind of ironic because Jesus says in in a minute, he says, you're going to drink it, right? Because what would happen to all those disciples? They would all, almost all of them, be murdered for their faith in Jesus, for sharing it with others. So so you're going to suffer for my name, but the ultimate cup of suffering, they couldn't drink it. Although they said to Jesus, yeah, we can. We can drink it. Of course we can drink it. But they couldn't. And so Jesus' answer to them, no. Right? The right and the left, that's, you guys are looking at this all wrong. In fact, because what the disciples thought they deserved and what they actually deserved, it was two different things. Because right? they, they weren't listening to Jesus. Right? What they thought they deserved was positions of honor and power and authority, and Jesus reminded them that they had a problem with sin and that the wages of sin is, is death, not a position on the right and the left in the kingdom, but a position of separation from God forever. And they weren't seeing it. And sometimes we don't either. 
Sometimes we get angry, we get, we get upset when, we, when somebody tells us no and we don't get our way, and especially when God tells us no, but we forget these truths that we need help. But that's where we come to the best verse in this whole section. Jesus says this, he says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. And I love it. In true Jesus fashion, he, he takes their misguidedness and he directs it right back to the truth of who he is and why he came. Right, guys? You're thinking of this all wrong. And I'm going to tell you no because I came for a better purpose. Right? They wanted to be served because they thought they deserved it. And Jesus says, uh-uh, that's not how it works in the kingdom of God. And that's why I came. I came not to be served, but to serve you. And here's the crazy part, right? If anybody, if anybody had a right to demand to be served on, waited on hand and foot, it was the guy who created this world. It's the guy who, who rules over all things. If anybody had a right to say, hey, I'm number one, act like it. Treat me accordingly, it was Jesus. But he never demanded it. Why? As, he, as he's, he himself tells us, he came to serve and to drink that cup. I was talking about that cup of suffering and pain. Jesus was going to drink a cup of suffering and pain very soon. And it would come on a cross. And it would come as his own father would turn on him and abandon him. And he'd be alone with the devil in hell. So that he could pay for your sins and my sins. And so Jesus, to his disciples, to us, he lovingly says, no, I'm not going to give you what you think you deserve because that's not going to end well. I'm not going to do what you think I should do because I have a better mission. I have a mission that's going to give you not what you deserve, but I'm going to take that pain and punishment and put it on me so that you can have forgiveness in life. Right, Jesus says, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to be willing to go all the way down into the pits of hell itself so you never have to. I'm willing to be abandoned by my own dad so that you will never know what even a second is like of being abandoned by your father because he'll never leave you or forsake you. Guys, I'm willing to give up everything, even my own life, so that you can have forgiveness so that you can have peace and joy and confidence and eternal life with me. Because that's what I came to do. To serve. To seek. To save. And those disciples, we like to pick on them because the the Gospels are full of Jesus saying, you have little faith. You're not getting it yet. But eventually they did. After the resurrection, after Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit on them on the day called Pentecost, they would go out and they would boldly share the message of a God who came to seek and to save the lost. And you know why they did it? They did it because Jesus, on this day and many others, was teaching them a very valuable lesson of what service in the kingdom of God is all about. It's not about seeking things for yourself. It's not about looking out for number one. It's about looking out for others. 
And so they went, they served, they shared Jesus, and they, almost all of them, would give up their own lives for the cause. Because they knew they didn't need the approval. They didn't need this from the world. They didn't need the pats on the back or you're so awesome and great because they already had that from the king. So do you. So do you. Friends, because of what Jesus has done for you, you can live a life of service to others. You don't need to be afraid to do it. You don't need to go out and seek the praise of, of, of the world because you already have the love of the king. You can, you can forgive that person who wrongs you. E even if they're not sorry for it, you can still forgive them because Jesus forgave you. You can give generously of your time and efforts. You don't have to go like this. because You can go like this to serve others because Jesus already gave you everything you need and more. You can love and you can serve because Jesus first loved and served you. You don't have to worry, am I going to get shortchanged? Because Jesus will never shortchange you. You can live with this, this motto. I heard somebody speak this quite a number of years ago and it stuck with me, right? In all things you can say, you first. Because that's humility, that's service in the kingdom. You can say you first to your spouse. You can say you first to your parents or to your kids. You can say you first to your boss and to your colleagues. You can say you first to your classmates, your friends, people here at church. You can say you first to even your enemies, as Jesus calls us to do. And you can do it all because Jesus looked at you and said, you first. As he gave up his life for you. Friends, we can live that way because Jesus said no, right? We can confidently live that way because Jesus said, no, I'm not going to give you what you deserve or what you think you deserve. I'm going to give you something way better. I'm going to give you all of my love. I'm going to give you all of my peace and my joy, forgiveness. I am going to give you eternal life, and I am going to give you the title, Child of the King. And there's no better title to have, and there's nothing else, friends, that we need. Amen.